0: Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens.
1: I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I'm blessed that I literally get to work every day helping people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But I know also that true clarity in life and in business requires a slightly different kind of vision. I have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity. And I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Today, we get to spend a little time in the business world of medicine with our guest, Sean Hanlon. Sean Hanlon is the CEO of CoFi, a company aiming to bring transparency and ease to the consumer payment experience, specifically when patients are undergoing elective or out-of-pocket medical procedures. What's unique about CoFi is that it's a software platform specifically developed to provide multi-party payments for these premium elective procedures with an emphasis on the world I get to live in and ophthalmology. Hundreds of premium practices use CoFi today to compliantly handle the multiple payments that need to be made to multiple providers and facilities that are involved in one simple medical procedure, which makes things easier. His software is making things easier for partners and patients alike. Sean is a two-time entrepreneur and executive with a vast history in the commercial or consumer side of healthcare industries. So Sean, welcome today to the Art of Seeing Clearly.
0: Thank you, Allison. It's nice to be here
1: so I'm gonna start you off with a, a two-part question for us today um, you have worked for multiple startup companies in the healthcare sector specifically what kept drawing you to those startup businesses and what ultimately led you to say hey I'm now gonna be one of those startup businesses
0: that's a great question I think um, I think I've always wanted to have um, my you know the effort I'm putting into working to have a noticeable impact on, on the business that I'm in. Right. So if you're going to work every day, right. Which everyone works every day, just about
1: in some fashion, right.
0: You you might as well have your work be as impactful as it it possibly can be. And I found early in my career that there was a, there were opportunities to have a greater impact at smaller companies, um, whether it be smaller companies or startups, I get into the startup world, um, out in San Francisco during the first dot com era, which was pretty exciting. Okay, I worked for a growth growth stage company out there that was, you know, just growing leaps and bounds, and everything was just exciting, and I really, really enjoyed that, and kind of wanted that throughout the rest of my career. Um, I think the reason for getting to kind of taking the leap and becoming an entrepreneur,
1: yeah,
0: uh, starting you know my own thing, and my prior company I co-founded with a partner um and we bootstrapped a consulting company um you know from scratch out of basically out of thin air and the impetus behind it was we were two two colleagues who were both at a series of startup and growth stage companies that you know we both were felt like we could we could you know do as well or better on our own and um, we wanted to I think believe in ourselves and um, Uh, you know, see what success felt like when you were the owner. And um, that's, that was the really, I think really the impetus for jumping off that cliff.
1: Hmm. So the companies that you're in, what about being in that growth stage was exciting?
0: Well, I think when you're winning, you know, there's an old kind of chicken or egg question that gets asked in sports, which is, does the, does the locker room create the winning or does the winning create the good locker room? And it's, to me, it's the latter. The winning always creates good vibes. Mm-hmm. You can bury a lot of, you know, issues between people or even within between a, a company and its customers if you're, if you're winning and everybody's winning together. And so, um, you know, uh, that's what feels good when you're in a company that's growing um, mm-hmm. and you're meeting your numbers or beating your numbers or getting that product out on time or early or getting good response to a product from the, the market those things feel good and they fuel the energy of the team, you know, wanting to continue to, to work, <laughs> just mm-hmm. ha- you know, half the battle is keeping people you know motivated and um, striving towards their goals. So uh, I think that, you know, if you're, if you have a product that can, that can sell and you can get on a growth cycle, it can just be self-perpetuating.
1: That definitely is exciting in that kind of that S curve stage where you're in that, that, definite growth curve. What particularly about entrepreneurship, now that you are in your own business, you've got had two uh, successful startups. What about entrepreneurship is appealing to you?
0: Well, I'd say part of it is maybe just a a slight reframing of the way you just characterize that, which is I'm in my own thing, but I'm doing it with other people, right? So the the prior company, I had a co-founder and we, you know, we were, you know, like like this for for five plus years, and now here at CoFi, it's me, but I have you know physician investors and outside investors, and there's a team here, then we're all on the same team. And so, I, like I, you know, what I love, what I what I like about it is um, seeing my vision, you know, come to life in the form of whether it's a, a service or a product. Um, uh, that's exciting, but then also, it's once you start to see the market respond to what you had in your head Um, and you're doing that with others and the team is winning. Again, it's, I don't want to be repetitive uh, this early in the discussion, but uh, that's a big part of it for me.
1: What's something that uh, you feel like you've learned or lesson you've learned maybe a hard lesson um, or maybe, maybe it's not, but something you've learned from being in your new role as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I think, I think the, the the two things that I found to be probably most challenging um, I've had to learn repetitively how to be the right kind of manager or leader, but mm-hmm. really a manager across different functional areas and different personality types and so forth. And I, I get reminded about how that's a constant learning yes. um, uphill battle um, uh you know, that you, you have to just keep continually trying to get better at it, you know, constantly. Um, and then the second one is um, is Hiring Hiring's hard. Hiring the right people um, and retaining them is, is not easy. It's actually hard, harder now, I think, than ever before In the market. It's hard to hire right now, but uh, not just the act of hiring somebody, but making it the right person.
1: Absolutely.
0: Getting them into your organization, you know, um, and and enabling them to be successful. That, that is, that is by far the most challenging part.
1: Absolutely. I think that's, um, you sometimes don't think about that aspect as you're starting your business and you're not always sure who the right people to put in those spots are. How do you deal with that when maybe the selection you've made at the beginning, wasn't the right selection?
0: Uh, Well, they, they say to, Hire slow and fire fast, right? And that's that's easier said than done because even much if easier so, said yeah.
1: than done. There's more involved than that.
0: Even if somebody's not working out, it's not easy to you know let them go. There have been a few times in my career um as an entrepreneur where I've, you know, we or I have made the decision to let somebody go quickly because the right thing to do. It was a mistake on both parties' parts. Um in other situations, it's um you know, you have to, I don't know how to, I don't have a formula for it. That's for sure. It's hard.
1: I think that is one of the things that uh, in talking with other, you know, small businesses, whether it doesn't matter what industry, that is a a constant of, uh, and it's it's emotionally and psychologically challenging as well. And what's something that you might be doing to try to help uh, continue your growth as a leader within your organization?
0: Another good question i I think I'm pretty good at soliciting the feedback of the uh, of the employees on the team. Um, I like to ask everybody with some regularity, how you know how's it going? And I try to set a an environment up where they feel like they could come to me if something isn't going right, and then ensuring that I'm i am listening to what they're saying if something isn't going right in their minds, whether it's with my management style or just the way you know they you know what their job looks like or you know whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, uh, challenging myself to to be sure that I'm listening and really listening, and uh, and and taking the right action when I get the feedback, whether it's about my personal management style or whether it's just about something infrastructurally about the company. Um, and uh, uh, but again, I don't have a formula for it. I'm I'm constantly learning, and I, I find that the the best way to Kind of ascertain how I'm doing in that regard is, is uh, by by having conversations with the, the folks who work here.
1: They sometimes say that um, employees may not tell you the truth when you ask.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you
1: feel that that is is true or I mean, I hope not, yeah. but at the same time, there is that there are those moments it's like, are they telling me what I want to hear or am I getting the real truth that yeah. I really want to know?
0: It's a good question. I think uh, I think looking looking back on it over the past half dozen or so years, where I've been, you know, um, in this role, um, I can kind of I can think of kind of two camps of employees. The ones that um, have really decided they, they they're done, they won't tell you the truth.
1: But everybody that
0: that you know has a, a desire to be on the team, um, they will tell you the truth. And sometimes it's a it's a truth that, you know, it it could be a a pretty stark truth, right? And so, you know, then you then you want to work then you want to work to make it work for them. Um, but the ones that won't the ones that'll say everything's fine and then they leave a month later, you probably knew all along that everything wasn't fine.
1: That underlying intuition and feeling all Mm -hmm. along, I think very uh, very wise things that we deal with. Um, your first business, your first startup business that you, uh, had was called turf. I just mm-hmm. want you to briefly give us an overview about that. Cause I think some of our interests or our listeners would be interested to hear about that, but then I want to know what lessons you learned from that company that helped you launch your current business. Kofi. fi
0: Sure. Um, so turf is a consulting company, um, in a very, with a very niche purpose. Which is within eye care within ophthalmology, um, so eye surgeons or ophthalmologists get a lot of um, uh, patients referred to them by uh, optometrists, who are your everyday eye doctors who who don't do surgery, uh, and um, it's a symbiotic relationship in a lot of ways. Um, the patient is referred to the ophthalmologist for surgery and then referred back, or most often, to the primary eye doctor for ongoing routine care, and that's an important relationship. And well, we discovered, um, my colleague and I, who started the company that um, uh, a lot of times doctors didn't have the time to even uh, be aware of which optometrists were in their local area or um, didn't know how to go about meeting them and establishing a relationship or maybe outsourced that role to a marketing rep or a practice liaison who maybe also didn't have this, the right maybe skill sets or so forth. And it was maybe an, un, an underserved part of the of the business operations of the ophthalmology practice. And so we sort of out of thin air invented a, a set of services um, that would use our skills as sales and marketing professionals um, to um, help those surgeons both understand their markets, who's in it and what do they care about and who might be interested in working with them, and then actually connecting the, the two parties uh, to meet and establish a relationship. So that, very niche, but- it, It's um, yeah. niche.
1: And it's also, I mean, it's, it's a niche business concept, but it's also really intriguing in the world of medicine, more broadly that mm-hmm. a lot of other, um, subsets of medicine don't necessarily have those unique referral relationships. And so for ophthalmology in general, that's not something we get taught right. no, we're going to get taught about business, but we don't necessarily get taught about that OD referral relationship and the importance of that or how to go about nurturing that.
0: Yeah. We found there to be a, a deficit of knowledge, I think within these practices mm-hmm. uh, around this, um, there are some you know ophthalmology practices that do a tremendously good job at it they understand it they hire the right people to help facilitate mm-hmm. it and they really set a gold a gold standard but i think for 90 plus percent of the ophthalmology practices it's an area that where our services were were useful on some level um, yeah yep yeah.
1: Yeah. So you're able to find a gap and, and create a business to try to help fill that gap. What's a lesson you might've learned um, that helped you in launching your second business? Ko-Fi.
0: Yeah. So uh, the lesson, <laughs> lessons learned. Um, well, no, number one, I think a, a lesson that I, I, I learned maybe even predating uh, turf, which is, um, okay. you know, in all of my years of sort of maybe wanting to be an entrepreneur, having product ideas and, um, one thing I learned is, is don't spend time on something unless you have a path to bring it, to bring it to market. Uh, And so that was the nice thing about, about turf was my, my colleague had, you know, a lot of contacts in ophthalmology and and, he was was the primary, you know, sales engine. Um, And so, you know, carrying that, that concept forward into COFI, you know, I'm fortunate to now have half a dozen years in ophthalmology and a lot of, you know, contacts and, um uh, you know was able to raise uh, startup, you know, money from some ophthalmologists to get this off the ground, as well as the first few customers and so forth. So it's always nice to have a defined. You know, anyone can come up with a product, but how are you going to get it to the audience? Right? That's
1: how are you going to get it out yeah. there? Well, that was that leads to a you know one of my other questions that I had. So we're we're moving in that direction. Where some of the resources or strategies that you you utilized, but looking at other, I mean, maybe non-industry related uh, businesses. What are some of the strategies to recommend for others to get their name out there and get their sales uh, mm-hmm. up and running.
0: At the beginning, you're you're probably using your existing network, but that doesn't scale, right? So what do you do right. from that from that point forward? And here's where at CoFi, you know, we're starting to apply multi you know multi channel marketing. So in a this won't, may not be relevant for the wider audience, but in a in a medical specialty, there are a defined set of publications people read, conferences they go to, podcasts they listen to. In other words, it's, a, it's not the vast consumer market, right? It's a smaller market. So know where your audience is, right? And apply, you know, apply your funds if you have marketing funds against those, against those channels. Um, and then the second thing I would say is um, content, 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 okay? Content is free to create and sometimes free to publish. If you can get if you can get it out there through the right channels, and um, uh, and the third thing is use the voice of your customer. There's nothing more powerful than a, the, your customer telling your story. And so, in our market, when I can have a customer up on podium at a conference talking about my product, that is ten times better than me talking about it. Right, like right now, right? If this were I'm one sorry. of my customers, it, it'd be better than if it were me. So uh, use the voice of the Don't customer. Don't discount really yourself, either. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I think those three, those three facets, um, if anybody, I guess we're going to continue on, but if somebody were just to take those three home with any business that they are... Uh, helping to lead and run, Uh, uh, wise words, know uh, who and where your audience is, content, 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 and and using the voice of your customer. And I think with those, um, that's a great baseline for uh, marketing and sales to get that company up and running. Tell me a little bit about, um, I described Ko-Fi in our introduction, but in your words, tell me the why, what gap were you trying to fill with that?
0: I think we all have the experience of you going into the hospital for some reason. Let's say you're having a baby, or God forbid, you got sick, and your car accident or something. You get you get bills forever from all these for different years parties. Sometimes, sometimes years later. Sometimes from a you know the radiology group wasn't part of the hospital contract, and you get a separate radiology bill or something like that. It drives everybody crazy. Well. When you're dealing with elective medical procedures, like a plastic surgery procedure or LASIK or you know, something like that, all of the costs are known up front. Right? They're known. You walk in to have your plastic surgery and your, um, or your LASIK procedure, and the doctor says it's going to be X thousands of dollars. So why should that patient have to pay multiple parties at different points in time? Why can't it just be like booking a flight and a car rental and a hotel and travel insurance all at once.
1: And one site takes care of paying all of those separate entities for your trip. Or as we're talking about a surgery or procedure, one site is paying all those separate entities for that procedure all at once.
0: Right. So we decided to say, let's enable the patient to themselves pay each of those parties at one time through one convenient transaction. And so when they when they make that payment, they see the charges from, in this case, the ophthalmologist and the optometrist, maybe the surgical facility, all on their credit card or bank statement as separate charges, just like they would if they walked around and paid everybody. So we said basically, let's let's basically take the credit card readers and check deposit apps from all of those groups that are involved and put them in one place, and make it really really easy for for everybody. Um, and that's that's what we've set out to do.
1: And making it really, really easy for everybody was a really easy business task, right? <laughs> business, business proposition, an idea to make happen.
0: Um, I think when we conceived it, one of the one of the folks around the table said, "This this will be simple," and um, the other one of us uh, said, "No, it won't." <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, it, um, it's a complex product, but um, yeah. you know we've made it really easy to use. It's it's complex. Sort of under the hood, um, but it's very easy to use uh, for the folks that, that actually use the software.
1: So making something simple is not always as simplistic as it sounds. What was one of the hardest things that you ran into in order to get this, this product, this software off the ground?
0: I, I think the hardest thing in software development um, is that um, every- well, There's
1: so much great software out there, right? <laughs>
0: In healthcare, a lot of the software can be improved, and so the the bar is actually relatively low, which makes a product like ours, which is so easy to use, so much appreciated by the customers. But when you're in the hard, I think from us for anyone out there that's building a software or you know building a software product from scratch, one of the hardest things is when you start to get market feedback. Is everybody wants it to be slightly different, Mm. and so triaging, you know, aggregating that input. And kind of triaging and saying, all right, what do people want versus what do they need? Okay, and um, you know, not everybody needs to get everything they want. And so, how do you how do you keep the product um, uh, how do you keep the product design and the architecture uh, to the point where it it's kind of fits the eighty twenty rule, where for eighty percent of the market, it's going to be everything they want and need, and for the other twenty percent, it's everything they need. Uh, maybe not everything mm-hmm. they want, and um, that's a challenge. an ongoing, ongoing challenge.
1: You and I have talked about the uh, kind of the eighty percent right theory for business and ideas. Um, uh, and we just mentioned an eighty twenty rule. And we we do throw those around a lot uh, as we speak about things, whether it's in medicine or life. Mm-hmm. Um, any other aspects to your eighty percent right theory that you've used as far as getting your business off the ground?
0: Maybe not. Or with is such it just like, a
1: general theory?
0: No, I mean the, the, that you I, kind of
1: go by to help. I would me. just say
0: this, Allison. I think that my orientation has always been um, on the side of execution. Get it okay. done. Okay. So at a certain point, you you just you can't wait for everything to be perfect. You just have to get a lot of stuff done every day. And if you wait for perfection, you you'll you won't get anywhere. So you won't get Maybe anywhere. you need 80 percent of it to be right. Maybe that fits the 80-20 rule. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. I like how you how you think that. You talked about some challenges that you might have had in launching Kofi. Because Kofi, you launched it in 2020. What were some of the challenges that you challenges that you had early on?
0: Yeah, so we we founded the company in January 2020, and then we we, we sort of soft launched it to the market a year ago in March of 2021. Um, Oh boy, um, I, I'd say the, the the biggest challenge we've had is hiring software engineers, which is not okay. exactly a um, you know challenge that everybody will encounter. Um, the The second challenge that I think everybody will encounter, like I mentioned earlier, is is hiring and retaining you know really really good talent. And um, do you have any uh,
1: specific tools or or metrics methodologies that you are trying to use? To we mentioned. relationships and the checking in with your your staff do you have a a guideline do you like we meet every two months or i use this system approach to to help us manage um our our team and allow for transparency
0: so we have a lot of communication at our company um not overkill so I I do have a system for for starting you know for starting employees, starting them smart, so to speak, which is basically ninety days until they're completely set free, right? Uh, Unless they're software engineers, where I I can't, I don't have enough technical background to you know help them in that regard. But yes, um, and and so when we're hiring, you know, we're looking for folks that are. And I was taught this a long time ago by one of my mentors. um, Uh, We're hiring for folks that we call it the three Cs. Are they capable? Are they coachable? And are they committed? And if they can line up to all three of those things, there's a good chance that they're that they're going to you know be a good hire. And then during that 90 day period, it's um, you know I I set up multiple uh, you know one to two uh, standing meetings a week with them. In fact, I just was. Slacking with an employee, I said, let's get rid of this third meeting. We don't need it anymore. Right. In other words, you know, things are progressing. Um, and um, uh, and the idea behind that is a sort of a 4C, which is communication. If you're, if you're, everyone's communicating, you know, regularly, you know, where everything stands, tasks get completed, uh, questions get raised. And I think, as importantly, you want everybody on the same you want the whole team on the same message. You want the whole team Mm -hmm. understanding what our objective is, what our mission is, where we stand as a company. Mm -hmm. Like every month or so we get together and we talk about the numbers. Like how's the company doing? Where do we stand? Uh, So the idea is to have kind of open bi-directional communication as regularly as possible.
1: I think taking that extra time at the beginning uh, is another great takeaway for uh, listeners that uh, might be tuning in today. You said at one time that you felt uh, like, how is this that it's me doing this? And that led us to talk about imposter syndrome. Tell me why you might have said that. Tell me about that feeling. I just think it's very important for the audience to, to hear that and that people actually can recognize it.
0: Yeah, so I'm a I'm a pretty confident guy in general. I, I don't have too many um, moments of self self doubt, but there are absolutely times where I look at you know whether it was at turf um, uh, and, and um, now with you know with Kofi where it's easy to wonder. You know, I don't have an MBA. Um, you know, I didn't do this before. Uh, not like everybody has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it's easy to have moments of saying you know. This is this is crazy. How how did I end up in this position? But it, it I those are fleeting, those are fleeting thoughts. I, I mm-hmm. shake it off, and mm-hmm. you know, my, I think my my orientation, as I maybe just mentioned, is towards execution. It's if we just keep getting things done. You know, we've built a great product. There are more things to do with that product, but we know what they are. We have channels into the market. We want to sell more. And we know how to do that. If we just keep executing, uh, working the plan, and everyone is. The, the, the other mantra my former mentor taught taught me is it have a day as a week mindset. A day is a week, a week is a month, a month is a quarter, and a quarter is a year. If you have that mindset and you try to get done in a week, what most people do in a day, just by being disciplined, not by working 20 hours a day, but just by being disciplined about it, teams that do that can just move mountains and get a lot done and meet and exceed their goals. And so anyway, I'm straying from the question, but um no. I just kind of block out any doubts and just execute.
1: And keep moving forward one goal at a time. Yep. I was just meeting with somebody else the other day, and it was amazing how effective and efficient this person, you know, CEO was within their you know 8 hour day and then truly blocking off for the the other part of their life that are important beyond beyond business and something that you just said reminded me of that too you know you execute you do as much as you think you can in this time but set up your time effectively mm-hmm. so that you are achieving as much as you can in that efficient uh, set time so you're not working 20 hours a day and your team is not Working right. twenty hours a day, but they're actually moving forward and moving mountains faster than they might be if you all weren't rowing in the same direction.
0: That's exactly it. I think if you're if you're disciplined about your day every day, I love that. Um, look, some people work in spurts, and that's not wrong either. I know a lot of on the software engineering side, there's a lot of um, a lot of developers and engineers that work in spurts. They'll they'll do. Two, two three day hard effort sprints and they'll need to detox. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's okay if it, if it works for them. But mm-hmm. if you flatten that out and, and you think of your day as you know eight to ten hours and, um, and you're willing to be disciplined about it. and um, you know, that involves usually lists, right and uh, mm-hmm. getting after the tasks. Not everything is a whiteboard session. Not everything's strategic. And probably the the people I would like to work with the least are the ones that always want to take things up forty thousand feet. It's like, no, this isn't about forty thousand feet. This is about getting that thing done that we need done by Friday. You know. <laughs> um, and so I like to hire and work with people that have that orientation.
1: Love that. With all the businesses that you've worked with in the past, um, leading up to where you are today, what is um a leadership quality that you saw that maybe wasn't the best that you wanted to make sure like hey, these were characteristics I saw of leaders that mm, maybe not a great quality. I want to make mm-hmm. sure that that doesn't happen to my team.
0: Yeah, to me, it's absolutely the lack of being open-minded and unwilling you know to listen.
1: You talked uh, about listening, so I yeah. I thought that that might happen. so tell me about not being open-minded.
0: Um, uh, I, I've been on teams where the entire team knew that you know the direction we were going in was wrong, and okay had the evidence for it, but you know we're unable to to even really get the right you know open minded audience from the, the head of the company, and uh, those you know all the all the people that were on that team you know left. <laughs> You know, and um, uh, that's ultimately what, what happens. So
1: ultimately, you lose um, a lot of good people who would have worked hard.
0: Right. That's that's exactly right. They, that was a good, talented team, and everyone ended up going their separate ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. One of our last questions is uh, related to truly the the theme of our podcast, and in my world, my why is choosing to do things that help people see the world better and to see themselves better. And I'd love to know what you do to help you be the best you. And what are some personal techniques that you use to see yourself better?
0: Um, this is a... This is a tough one to answer, um, even though you told me even though you told me it was coming <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um,
1: you know, what does what does Sean do to you know what do you do to like, hey, this is how I manage my day, how I keep yeah. my best clarity?
0: Sure, sure. So on, on the days where I'm most productive and I'm, I'm working with that uh, days as a week mindset or the days where I'm disciplined about making my lists and knowing what I need to do that day and, and organizing my my time efficiently. Um, those days feel great. I, I would say that um I'm at my best self when i'm um when I'm exercising, when I'm getting you Absolutely. know like four plus you know days a week of real uh, exercise. when i'm when I'm not, it's it's becomes evident at the office and at home, and you mm-hmm. know i'm not my I'm not my top self. um so that's that's important to me. And the thing I'm struggling with most right now is that just, you know, I would love to um, sleep better. So that's the one thing I'm working on right now, because I think that also will improve my performance, um, you know, here at, uh, at Kofi, so.
1: We're actually taking time for yourself is a an additive thing to the productivity that you have at work. It's not something that takes away from your work time. I feel like it makes us better at work. Yeah. It makes us more productive, making sure that you get the right amount of sleep, eat well, are taking care of your, your body. Mm-hmm. I feel like it allows, um, I, I completely understand what you're saying and I live that mantra myself.
0: Yeah, you spend more of your your awake time in life working than doing anything else. So why not be as optimally prepared for it as possible?
1: Fabulous. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for joining me today and spending a little bit of time with us uh, to help us learn more about you, your company, and your art of how you see clearly.
0: Great. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed the conversation. This was fun.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it as well.